Hello and welcome back to another episode of Arena On Air. In this episode, we were joined by Arena Stage's Artistic Director, Molly Smith, as well as author and Arena Board member, David Bruce Smith. Molly and David had a lively conversation about David's history with Arena Stage and his journey as an author, specifically his latest children's book, Abigail and John, which tells the historic story of John and Abigail Adams. Please sit back and enjoy this special episode of Arena On Air. Well, it is wonderful to be here today with David Bruce Smith, who's a terrific author. And my name is Molly Smith, and I'm the artistic director here at Arena Stage. So welcome, David. Thank you. I just want to start by saying that, David, I've so appreciated the fact that you've been aboard at Arena Stage for many, many years. I know. It's been nine years. It does not seem that long at all. It really doesn't. But I remember when we met each other when Arena was nomadic for two and a half years while the new Arena stage at the Mead Center for American Theater was being built. And Deborah introduced us, Salzburg. Correct. And we sat in my office and I think we chatted for over an hour and we talked about Tennessee Williams and we talked about great writers that you love and just immediately forged an appreciation for each other. That's right. The, the the odd thing was it took me so long, a year actually, to decide whether or not I wanted to be on the board because cause I wasn't convinced there was anything I could add that hadn't been added by the rest of the board. Then what happened? You convinced me, and I'm still not sure I'm adding anything. <laughs> <laughs> we love having you on the board. Thank you. Yeah. You created something called the Grateful American Book Series. Right. And was that a moment where you just said, enough, I'm going to create this book series because this is important to me? Explain it to us. Okay. No, actually, it was the opposite. It was very gradual, and it was very subconscious, I think, for a while. I used to go to the Founding Father Homes like Mount Vernon and Montpelier pretty often. And I noticed that at Mount Vernon, it would say, it says, George Washington's Mount Vernon. At Montpelier, it says, uh, Dolly, uh, James Madison's Montpelier. And after a while, <clears throat> it began to bother me because it was excluding little girls. Mm-hmm. So if you exclude little girls, that means they're not going to f- feel part of history. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to think that these homes are just old places where old men who are now dead lived. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to include them. They, be, they become in, um, um, invested in, in history as well. And hopefully, historical literacy goes up. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other thing is, in this series, um, the wife comes first. She gets top billing. She has to get top billing because, in the case of Abigail, and then later, Dolly, John Adams would not have made it to the White House without her. 
in my opinion. He was very prickly, mm -hmm. and she had a leveling influence on him. And she, some people say they were the first power couple. Mm -hmm. But that, they were the first powerful couple. Mm -hmm. I say powerful because they weren't in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. The Madisons were the power couple, first power couple, because they worked together in the White House. Mm -hmm. So um, the other thing is with the Adamses is, is this is, or next year is the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote. Yeah. Why are women so important to you in your life? Because there's a sensitivity that I hear in your thinking and the synthesis of all of these ideas uh, that you saw, you read about when you visited the historical sites that I don't know if all men would come to. Well, I think um, some of the women in my life were married to men who were very tolerant. So my mother is an artist, and my father, long before this was popular, really believed when she was creating, she needed a, a room of her own. And he made sure she had her space, and he really helped propel her career. So they were a partnership. See, this, this book is all about historical and or presidential marriages that were partnerships. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the most important thing. So getting back to the Adamses, that was a perfect partnership or as close to it. My parents are a partnership. So I suppose some of this is modeled on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Can you tell me about the marriage of uh, the Adamses? She was his confidant. She was really, politically speaking, more savvy than he was. Mm -hmm. The one big mistake that she made that surprised me, when they passed the Alien, Alien and Sedition Acts in mm -hmm. 1798, mm -hmm. it, was, it was Abigail and his cabinet um, who talked him into it and that was very disappointing because that didn't seem like her way of thinking because it parallels the immigration issue mm -hmm. only it was aimed at instead of being aimed at Muslims it was aimed at the French then mm -hmm. um, so and, and that tanked mm -hmm. his presidency mm -hmm. as a partnership they were so close, I think as as parents, they were off the mark a little. I mean, John Quincy Adams did fine, but he was sort of a grump like his father. Mm -hmm. um, the other two boys became alcoholics. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes you can be a little too close and you alienate your children. So my theory is the children suffered. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How would you describe the illustrations, which I believe were done by your brilliant mother? That's right. And how do they augment the narrative? Okay, so the, the illustrations are very warm, like the illustrator. They are uh, studied. They are impressionistic. You can extract a different story from the illustrations. Mm-hmm because of the, the different levels of understanding. Mm -hmm. 
But she did 65 illustrations for this. And this this was hard because, like, let's say she had to do Abigail. So uh, she had Abigail wearing a hat. Well, the publisher would say, well, she's wearing the wrong hat. The hat is, you know, it's a, it's a 20th century hat. She's got to be wearing a 19th century hat. Well, mm-hmm. we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So then she'd have to do it again. So, mm-hmm. you know, 65 illustrations that appear was probably more like 90 illustrations mm-hmm. and these i mean they were hard i mean i mean we were trying to show the warm side i mean if you look at the typical pictures of them they're sort of stern and we did not the other thing is we had done a book on john marshall a few years ago and we were reading about anything that about him on the children's level, it, it was unrealistic. You know, the, the, the famous person is born. He succeeds in school. He becomes successful. He's famous, and he dies. <laughs> I mean, it's just, we'd, I did not want a book like that. I mean, I wanted to um, say, well, uh, they lost four children. I mean, I wanted to do, talk about some of that in very age-appropriate language. I wanted to say that she was very depressed mm-hmm. during most of the marriage. She was mm-hmm. in bed a lot because of that. Some of it I was able to keep, and some of it I had to take out, so it was very flat. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the same here. I wanted to, and I wasn't held back in this particular case. Uh, so I think if you read it, you'll notice it's not a, oh, everything was so perfect for Abigail and John. I mean, they had, they had problems. I mean, this is the woman who <clears throat> um, took her kids to Boston to have them inoculated for smallpox and just hoped that they wouldn't die from it. This is the woman who, you know, while he was gone, so he was gone, if you added up all of their separations, he was gone for 10 years of their marriage. <laughs> so she was running the farm. She was making bullets for the, for the Americans. She bought, she was very smart, she bought bonds from Alexander Hamilton. And when they were redeemed, suddenly they were wealthy. She warned her husband, and this is something that's very famous, will ring in people's ears to remember the ladies while he was in Philadelphia working on the Declaration of Independence. How did he respond? And did those words unknowingly kick off the suffragette movement, the beginning of the suffragette movement? He responded by accepting them. So that, <clears throat> that means, in my opinion, it was a very equal partnership. The problem was he also knew, knew that politically it would tank the Declaration of Independence. They had already said they weren't going to deal with slavery. If he had brought up equal rights for women, it probably would have burned down the whole city. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what would have happened. It would, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been too much for these men mm-hmm. to take. Mm-hmm. But he did hope that, you know, smarter minds would resolve this over time. Now it took, she said in 1776, it took 150 years. But I do think, remember the ladies, definitely put the suffragette 
sentiment out there. And it must have been something that was in his mind and in his thinking, because clearly she was always in his mind. And she was. I mean, yes, it's true. You know, a lot of couples were separated in those days, and they had each had a bigger burden of work. But Mm -hmm. her letters are considered one of the best Mm -hmm. accounts of pre- and post-Revolutionary War Mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know, remember the lady, so it's, it's... it's part of the lingo. And certainly because they were apart for so long and so often, their letters are a beautiful account of their relationship together. It would be interesting to know if they weren't apart nearly as much, what the dynamic would have been because absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it would be, you know, she might have had a different position in history, a little more um not subjugated, but minor. Mm-hmm. She's she's definitely, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of kids know who Abigail Adams is. Oh, they totally do. They totally I do. I mean, more than him even. And same with Dolly. Dolly, yeah. when James Madison was running for president the second time, he was running against by the name of a guy, a man by the name of Pickney from South Carolina, and he lost. And he said, you know, I would have won if I weren't running against... Mr. and Mrs. Madison. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, we've been doing power plays the last several years, and I know this is something that uh, you're engaged in, particularly uh, the presidential power plays, and we'll be doing four of them. We've done two now uh, with uh, one on Jimmy Carter Mm -hmm. called Camp David uh, about the 1978 Middle East Peace Accord. And then this last year, Aaron Posner wrote JQA, uh, which was uh, very much about Adams. And tell me how you felt about it. How did you feel about uh, the uh, portrayal? How did you feel? Did Did you feel like it helps people understand history, the people behind the history? Well, when I saw uh, JQA, I was very defensive because <clears throat> I was in the middle of, of the book and I, I, I felt that he made her too harsh. Mm-hmm. I didn't think she was like that. I, just from what I know, I mean, I'm no scholar, but I, I know she was, no doubt she was a, a taskmaster. Right. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, how our interpretation of different historical figures really changes depending on the alchemy of the person writing it because you're writing from a whole different perspective uh, than Aaron Posner is. You know, I thought what was fascinating about the play, though, is for many people, they have not, they don't think very much about this family. And yet the whole family you know, father and son, have had such an enormous effect on us in America. And the women have had such an effect on us in America. So reminding audiences of that, uh, I think, is is powerful. And it's wonderful when people come in and want to argue like you, because you're already an expert in this area. I think we needed to have you and Aaron Posner sitting talking. 
What do you think, David, the greatest value of live theater is for kids? And what do you think it stirs up in them? Imagination. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. there's nothing now, you know, anything that a kid wants. Like, what does Paris look like or something? Google it so you know what it looks like. So when I was a kid, I say Paris because this was something I used to imagine forever. I thought when you, when you got when you got to the airport in Paris, all of these Phineas Fogg-like oh. balloons <laughs> would be on their side, laying on their sides, inside, mm -hmm. and that's what you would see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that for a long time. Mm -hmm. It was fun to imagine. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and with theater and live theater, like right now we're doing Newsies at Arena Stage, and the young people are just completely energized by it because of the ideas in it, because of the fact that these were news kids right. at the turn of the century who actually made a huge difference. And the, acrob the acrobatics. The too. acrobatics, they're thrilled by it. And young people need to know that they can make a difference, that they can make a difference. And seeing something, which is a story about that, allows their own imagination to work, as you said, imagination, uh, to think of what they might want to do in their own lives. Do you think 2020 will be the woman of the year? Well, you know, David, I think every year is the year of the woman, because I think for so long, women have been subjugated in one way or another. And I think we're just seeing the flowering of women making great strides in every single profession. When I was a kid, I was in the women's movement, the feminist movement, and that was in the 70s, and I thought, everything is going to change. It's all going to change. Then by the 80s, it switched back. Women started to wear uh, jackets, with big shoulders. Everybody went into business. There was this whole shift away from this thinking about the whole person. And I think this is the new feminism. And it is being uh, led by young women. It's being augmented by older women. And what I love about it is men are calling themselves feminists as well. Because it, what it's really about is Let's find ways uh, to work together in equality in the world. So I'm going for woman of this next century. That's what I would like to see. Thank you for listening to this episode of Arena On Air. If you liked what you heard, please tag, comment, and subscribe. And remember to use the hashtag Arena On Air. As always, a huge thank you to our fellows, Caroline Austin, Tristan Evans, and Brandon Pilar for their help in the production of this show. Without them, none of this is possible.